Good morning, Grace. I am only on vacation if I am out of cell phone coverage and I have a fishing pole in my hand. I was on vacation about two years ago. I got up early, family was still asleep, and I grabbed a cup of coffee and I walked down the hill to this spot that I've fished uh, many times and got my line wet and was sitting there. Pretty soon along came another man walking down the same hill and I'm sure he had similar thoughts that I had about vacation. And so we sat there for, I don't know, some time. Looked back and there was a young mom walking down this same hill and she had a little boy toddling after him and got to the bottom of the hill, turned the corner and he saw his dad and he shrieked, Abba! And I knew at that moment that I would use this morning as a sermon illustration to begin a sermon someday. Here we are. This squeal of delight, this rapture of joy in this boy's voice taught me two things. Now I know how to pronounce a very important word in Galatians chapter 4, Abba. And I also know the proper approach, the right greeting for a dad who is loved. Make no mistake, a father, the good, healthy, loving father, is loved and is a delight for his child. His the father is loved because he cares for the needs of his child. The father is loved because he knows and is known by his child. And because they know him, they love him and trust him as well. This kind of father is not just worth being loved, but being emulated of being copied in attitude and action to grow so that that child can adopt the heart of the one who loves. This is the main big idea we're going to get from our passage today, starting in Galatians chapter 4. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts saying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Part of what makes this passage so marvelous is how it begins. But God. As you notice, Pastor Benji wrote, read a few minutes ago that we were enslaved to the elementary principles in verse 3. It says that we were children who were under guardians and managers and unable to stand before the living God and we needed priests and we needed sacrifices and we couldn't eat bacon. But God, in his pity and joy, put bacon and ham and ribs back on the menu. Praise Jesus. And in contrast to this pitiable state 
enslaved by the penalty of the law, bonded by the prison of our sin and guilt that buried us from all light, all hope, all joy. God stepped in. But God, God had to act because you and I could not. So he did. We read in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5 once again, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, normally when we come to this passage, we spend a lot of time talking about the first century Mediterranean era. And we talk about the fact that there was a common language, and we talk about the fact that there were good roads, and there was the Pax Romana, which meant there was relative peace all around the Mediterranean, which let travel and commerce and philosophic and religious growth go. And all of these things are, of course, true, but they really aren't that important. They certainly miss the point. The point is that God himself was good and ready. Never forget that all the great technology of the Romans of building roads and building aqueducts, who gave them that technology? It was the Lord who directed it. Furthermore, God prepared Israel through prophets and priests and kings to show them and us the absolute futility of trying to keep the law based on our own efforts. You see, the law could not save because the law could only point to the sinfulness of our hearts. It The law could only be our tutor, our teacher, so that we would know that salvation must come from without us. And it takes time, evidently millennia, for us to see the utter sinfulness in our hearts and our inability to affect real change, permanent change, heart change. And that, my friends, is why you and I need a Savior. You and I have to have salvation come from without us because we can't make it up within us. And so the time had come. God stood in opposition to all that would prevent us from a relationship with him. And that is why this passage starts with, but God, God poured out his grace. So, what did God do for us? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God became a human being just like you and me. It says here that God sent forth his son. That's Jesus' divinity. It says he was born of a woman. That's his humanity. You see, God adopted to himself enough of us to redignify what you and I lost at the fall. And the son that came was born under the law. In other words, Jesus assumed for himself the, all the conditions that were necessary to earn salvation that we couldn't do. 
He kept the law to fulfill its demands so that you and I could be redeemed. Now, what does it mean to be redeemed? To redeem simply means to buy back. It means you purchase something. In this case, specifically, you and I needed to be bought back from the curse of not having obeyed the law. Because you and I had sinned, we were sold, as it were, to the penalty of the law. We needed forgiveness. We needed redemption. And that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 1. In Christ, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according, and here's where it gets good, the riches of his grace. God isn't some rich guy handing out dimes on the street corner. God is pouring out the riches of his grace. And the crowning jewel of the riches of his grace is adoption. And this is just a partial list of all the work that God did for us. Listen, God gives us new birth. That's called regeneration. God gives us that we could repent and believe. That is conversion. We are then given legal standing before God. That's called justification. Remember, this is all logical order, not necessarily in time. But then logically speaking, we are also given a place at God's dining room table. We are adopted And adoption is the most important, or at least it's the culmination of what God has done for us. Adoption is the summit of Mount Salvation because adoption is the fullest expression of God's love for us. Think with me just for a moment about this. God could have given us new birth and not adopted us. God could have given us repentance and trust and not adopted us. God could have given us right legal standing before him and not adopted us. We could have had all these benefits and then been sent to live in the far moon of Saturn, away from the table of his bounty. But God adopted us. He has given us full legal rights as heirs of his riches. And we are given the keys to his house. We are given the keys to his house because it's our house. It's our inheritance that he lavishes on us because he has made us a part of his family. This is what Paul says, that we have become heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. My friends, Paul says that you are a son because you stand to inherit all that God has for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul calls us sons, means that now we can relate to him as father. Listen, this is just a very short list of all the promises that we have because we are his children. God, our father, loves us. 1 John 3, 1. God, our father, understands us. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. 
The Father gives us good gifts, Matthew 7, 11. Our Father cares for our needs, Matthew 6, 32. Our Father enables us with the Holy Spirit, Luke 11, 13. And our Father grants us an inheritance in heaven that cannot be touched or faded or diminished on earth, 1 Peter 1, 4. My friends, I know we're a good Baptist church and Everybody's, yeah, okay. You should be excited about this. This is great news. This is wonderful news. You, if you belong to Christ, you are the richest. You are the most successful. You are the most cared for person in the universe. This is exciting. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And you have access to all the riches of all the power of all the grace that God has to pour out on you. All you've got to do is access it. All you have to do is trust and believe that these promises that God has poured out on us are for you. And they are yours. Amen. That is right, sister. You and I have, in a way that the Jews before Christ could never do, we can now adopt the heart of the one who loves. And that's just the first half of our passage. Let's do the next half. In verse 6, we'll see even more good news. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba! Papa, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. My friends, once again, Paul is no dummy. He knows how to speak to our hearts and he knows how to speak to our minds. And in this verse, he's very much teaching us emotional truth. He's teaching us to call God our Papa, to call him Daddy. He's telling us to go to him as your Father, that good and loving, honest Father. But in his celebrating, he does not lose sight of theology. In fact, it is in his understanding of God, what we call theology, that Paul finds all of his celebrating, all of his worship that we call doxology. But you know, we live in a place and a time that doesn't like theology. And you and I have to train ourselves to love theology. We need to train ourselves to celebrate when we are thinking about the great God who loves us. We need to train ourselves to celebrate when we think about the fact that God adopted me. And if God can save my father's son, he can save anybody. Trust me. We must train ourselves to celebrate God even harder than we work out at the gym. Do you know why? Because having a heart strong enough to praise God while we are struggling through the valley of the shadow of death is not easy. And 
back to celebrating, this great and gracious God before whom we can draw near with confidence, before whom we can charge and with cheerful courage has called you and me his kids. You know, when you were a kid and it was hot outside and you really wanted something cold or you wanted one of those, you know, fruit popsicles. Those are my favorite. I love those fruit popsicles. It was dying outside and you would just run into the house and you'd grab a popsicle. But if you were over at your friend's house, you wouldn't quite run in as quick because it wasn't your house. But this is God saying, yes, come in and get those fruit popsicles. You know, sangria or um, freses or one of those. Oh man, I just love those. Where can we get one right now? Um, We can run into the throne of grace because he has told you to call him Papa. We, even though we're stayed Baptists, should be dancing right now. We should be shouting amen because this is good news. Amen. And it's not because of what you have done or not done. It's not because you're so beautiful or rich or talented. You can run to the emperor of the universe because he's not only your emperor, but he is your daddy. And he enables you to adopt the heart of the one who loves. My friends, this is the gospel. This is it. This is the good news. This is the message of salvation for all the dirty orphans who have no hope, no God, no ultimate reason to live except to collect and protect toys that can never last and will never satisfy. What is your hope this morning? You see, it's not enough Merely to recognize the sin in your heart. You must recognize that sin in your heart, but then you must hate it. And you must hate that sin enough to turn to the only solution to that sin, and that is Jesus. And as everyone here knows, that is a tough thing to do for most in our culture. Because we want to swallow it ourselves. We want to do it ourselves. But you and I... We're under a curse for our sin. The penalty for falling short of the glory of God. Paul writes in the chapter before ours, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And if you are not yet sure of your family position before the Lord yet, if you have not yet trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, then you need to recognize your dire position and you need to turn to the only one who can redeem you out of that pit, who can pay the curse for you and still live so that you can know that he has accomplished all that is necessary and so that you can turn a blind eye to the world that bids you trust in self-esteem but rely instead on self-emptying because that's the only way you can get to God's feast table for you. Then God forgives your sins and beyond belief, Not knowing why or how, we just know that. God not only forgives your sin, but he makes you a part of his family. 
Me, a dirty, hopeless, parentless child with no one to look for our good. This, my friends, is the hope of the gospel that is the hope of all the children in the world need today. Can you think of a way that we can spread that hope to the children of the world today? Well, we can. We can look after widows and orphans in our world whose physical condition is reflective of their spiritual condition. So we come to a passage and we have all this joy and we're so happy and we're loving, praising God. What do we do with this? Well, we adopt a child, of course. Adopting another human being is the single best example of the love of God. Adopting is the highest expression of the salvation Christ won for you and me at the cross. Adopting is the perfect analogy relating, don't miss this, adoption is a perfect analogy relating the high cost and the great value of the care and toil and thankless effort that parenting inevitably is. Adopting is the most perfect reflection of who God is and who he has made us to be. So, one possible way you can apply this passage and the many other adoption-oriented passages in Scripture is to go pick up your own kid from China. Starting in Christmas 2013, Don and I began a process of adopting again. Many of you remember about six years ago we were going through uh, the California system and some of you remember that, I know, because I'm looking at it and some of you were adopting or adopted shortly after that. I was so excited back then that God did a work of sparking families to adopt here at Grace Baptist Church. I'm hoping that he does it again, hint, hint. But in my own case, even before I was a Christian, I remember even as a teenager thinking, man, adopting a kid would be a really cool thing to do. So early in our marriage, Don and I thought that after our kids got a few years older, we would adopt. And that's why six years ago in our mid-late 30s, we wanted to do this. But God had other things in mind. So now in our early and mid-40s, we're taking up the challenge to spread the joy and love of Jesus. So in June, we're going to go pick her up. Her name is Eliana, which means my God answers. And... um, she wears, ball, she wears orange and she's bald. So you know automatically she's my little girl, right? I mean. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Uh, we have several prayer requests. The first one is that we don't have exact dates yet. We, there's, in fact, several details that we need prayer to get these remaining details in order. Um, we need this one piece of paper. There's always one more piece of paper uh, before we can go get our travel arrangements and visas and all that. 
But we really want you to pray for our little girl. We have been praying for this particular girl since about Thanksgiving last year. But she doesn't know us from Adam. And she doesn't, she's going to be two and a half by the time we get her. She doesn't speak a word of English. And so we really want you to pray for the bonding of our family. That is very important. And even more important than that is we pray that she will also not only be adopted by us, but be adopted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray that she would come to Christ because God, Jesus wants to adopt her to herself, himself, and is using us as the tools to do that. But then our last prayer request for now is that we need you to pray for us as we return. I will be gone almost the entire month of June. And we are going to need some time to bond with her. Unfortunately, that means for most of you, you're not going to have a chance to meet her until at least July, but maybe even August. Thank you for being excited for us, and we are very thankful for that. But please also be patient with us because it is very important in those first couple of months that we bond and um, we have our hearts united. A, a few of you have asked about a shower. We would love that, but uh, again, we won't do it until probably July. Uh, she was born with a heart condition. Uh, that has been corrected, but she is smaller than a normal two-and-a-half-year-old would be, and so we're going to have to get her, and we're going to have to figure out you know, what it is she will need and what we will need. But as I say this, there are approximately 13,000 orphans under 18 in the state of California. There are also approximately 22,000 churches in the state of California. Now, we were led, for various reasons, uh, to go to China. But you don't need to go to China. You don't need to pay all this money. You can be a part of reflecting the love of Jesus right here in Santa Maria. And I know that there are many in this room that God is not asking you to adopt. There are many that going to China or Lompoc is not what God is calling you to do, and you have other ministries. So, for example, adopt a child in your neighborhood. Let that 10-year-old kid who lives down the street, let him know you. And you get to know him. And pray for that child, that son or daughter that desperately needs to see what a loving man or woman really is like. Let them see what it means to be one who loves Jesus and is captured by the love of Jesus. Maybe that's a bridge too far. What about the 44-year-old woman who, lit, who works in the next cubicle down from you? Get to know and pray for him or her so that you can know and be known. You can share the love of Jesus in a powerful way. Oh, but my life is way too busy, Pastor. You don't understand. Oh, believe me. I am the world's guiltiest person on being too busy. But too busy for what? 
too busy to do the purpose that we were left here for? Maybe we're too busy. Adopt a child in your neighborhood, adopt a coworker of the same sex so that you can now be in that person's life an example of Jesus. Do foster care. Bring a child into your home temporarily. But whatever it is that you end up doing, don't let yourself believe that I am preaching a guilt message because I know not everyone is called to do this. For Donna and my boys and I, we are in this special time of our life where this makes sense. It doesn't, didn't make sense 10 years ago for us and it won't make sense probably 10 years from now. But seize the opportunity that the Lord is putting in your path now so that you will never allow your heart to be hindered from loving another person who is difficult to love. Because everybody God loves is difficult to love. Amen? Amen. Take home from this passage, if, if it's not an urge to go and adopt, then take home from this passage, the powerful gospel truth and be challenged to take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you or forsake you. That, my friends, is a life you will never regret. And that is the life that will enable you to adopt the heart of the one who loves. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I praise you for this opportunity that my family has, but I thank you even more for the opportunity that our church has. I pray, Lord, that you would send a spirit of adoption in this room, in this church, first of all, so that we would know that we are your children and we need fear no man and no thing because you are with us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. And then I pray that you would continue the spirit of adoption because I see families right in front of me who have adopted and who have given of themselves to the call of the gospel. But Lord, I also recognize that that is not where all of us are. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would enable us to see what you are calling us as individuals and families and as a family of grace so that we can bring glory to your name by adopting the heart of the one who loves. We love you, Jesus. Amen.